We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Entrepreneurial spirit is what drives success. Starting with a dream and vision to start a new category in men's golf apparel is what formed Travis Matthew. My guest today is the CEO and one of the biggest growing apparel brands today. Ryan Ellis is CEO of Travis Matthew. Ryan, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hayes. Thrilled to be here. Thanks, Jeffrey. You know, for those watching and listening, who may not have heard of Travis Matthew brand, though I'm sure they'll recognize the logo. Tell us a little bit about the history of the company. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it started with a foundational principle. If you think about golf 15 years ago, very shiny, techy, bright, the athletic brands had really taken over. The cool thing about the athletic brands is the product performed really well. Not only did it perform in terms of moisture wicking, sweat, but it actually washed really well. You took your cotton polo, you washed it three times, it wrinkled, it faded, it, it really didn't hold up. And so we had the idea of, can we merge the two, right? Because golf apparel became a uniform, like you were playing basketball and you wore it, shiny, bright, techy, and then you took it off, put your real clothes on. And could we merge the two of on and off the course apparel with an end game in mind, thinking we always wanted to be a men's lifestyle brand and, and sort of the concept worked really early had no clue what to do with fabrications. It was sort of learn on the fly. And then we started in 20, 2007, 2010, we found this magical kind of cotton poly blend built out of Peru, had all the tech properties, breathed like cotton, held up really well. And we redefined performance for the athletic brands, it's quick dry. For us, it's, our guy's a traveler. Like how does it, does it wrinkle? Does it shrink? Does it fade? Uh, can you wash it 20 times and it holds up? And, and then thinking about even deeper, what is the weight we keep? I'll give away my secrets. We keep polo weights between 140 to 160 grams, right? And so we're thinking about all these things and all these properties. And how do we take the best of poly, right? Which dries quick, but isn't a natural fiber, doesn't breathe. And then cotton, which is a natural fiber, breathes, but soaks up, gets really heavy and so, and, and is really soft. And so that was sort of the formulation of that plan. And then sort of three years down the road, we figured out the fabric piece. And the biggest thing with Travis Matthew is, we form this aspirational brand. Think of it like Tommy Bahama, right? If you think about a lot of clothing brands, it's just clothes, right? And they tell you it's the best damn this or it's the best that. And you get it and it's great and it feels great, but there's nothing aspirational. When you put Travis Matthew on, it feels like you're at the beach. It feels like with your buddies, it feels like you're on a golf trip. So we've combined incredible product with aspirational marketing. So are those plaid pants here to stay or are they gone with Travis Matthew? <laughs> They're gone. We have, my last name's Ellis. We actually had, I'm very embarrassed, probably 2009, four shorts called the Ellis short. They were all plaid, all different colors. If you saw them today, it'd be really embarrassing. We actually sold them really well though. So John Daly's not one of your spokespersons then. 
He's not. He's not. I think we're we go the opposite direction. I think that's cool. Like, you know, some people want to go with the out there caddy shack and we want, wanted to really bring the class back into golf. And, and we call it reinventing classics. And that's taking something you've seen from the 70s or 80s and really modernizing it. You know, being a former brand officer myself, I'm listening to the words you're using, and I love the word class, bring some class back, and really setting apart your own style. Was that a big part of the discussion? It was a huge part. I mean, we always started with, we want to be disruptive, which you're going to think, well, that's counterintuitive to class, but it's not. We're going to be disruptive in the industry by shipping early instead of late, right? We're going to be disrupted by attention to detail. We're going to be disrupted by marketing. I mean, our, our very first shop we opened, Roger Dunn Santa Ana, we put a, an entire VW bus inside the shop and it was like a magnet. And that was being disruptive in our industry. And, but it was classy and it, and it brought back, you know, that 70s sort of 80s theme. So from day one, it was, you know, everyone that goes into golf that wants to be disruptive just goes wild. I remember seeing a catalog from a competitor and the guy's like peeing in the bushes in the catalog. And I get that like they're doing that, but it just, it makes no sense. You're, you're taking the class right out of it. So how do we take this rich tradition and modernize it a bit? And, and that's what we're able to do. Yeah, I like that. You know, a lot of brands, they can do that. They can use sex or they can use comedy to, to differentiate their brand. It's good to use class. It does set you apart. And they do do that on golf courses. We do. We know that happens from time to time. Even some of the pros. I know some of the pros, but I won't go into that whole different, <laughs> a whole different show. I tell you what, let's take a quick break and we're going to be right back after this message. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. C-Suite Radio. All right, everybody, we're live casting right here on Facebook and LinkedIn as we bring you all business with Jeff Razor right here on C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV. I'm talking with Ryan Ellis, the CEO of Travis Matthew, talking about how they're differentiating in the golf market with apparel. And it's not just golf, but apparel. Let's talk about that in a few minutes. So I have to ask you, Ryan, I heard that you were the first hire and that you didn't even play golf at the time. Where did you start and what attracted you to this brand? Yeah, I've been in apparel my whole career. I started in retail. I wanted to learn that side of the business, thinking I would open my own business, probably open a few stores. Um, got onto the wholesale side, was actually working for an action sports company, opened a retail store for them, came on the wholesale side, became a sales manager, eventually headed up product on my bachelor party in Europe, 10-day trip. I think I was in Stockholm at the time. I get a call. It was an Australian business. They shut down the U.S. headquarters because... They were bleeding in Australia. We had a $5 million building. They sold it. So I came back to no job. I uh, was looking at, at what I wanted. You didn't even have a desk. No desk. You know what? When you're on a 10-day bender for your bachelor party in Europe, it's like not the worst thing to come home and relax a little bit and think about what you're going to do next. And so I traveled a little bit, and, and, and I met with, uh, with, with one of the guys that had the idea for Travis Matthew, and I, I thought I, I wasn't a golfer, and I thought golf clothing, that's – I'm in fashion and apparel. I don't want to go into golf clothing. And, and he said, that's the point. Go, go look at three or four shops and gave me a list. And I did. And I started making cold calls. And of 20 people I called, 15 said they were interested. And you know, the clothing industry, I mean, nobody's interested. They've got enough brands, right? And so I was like, well, 
this is something that really could pop. And yeah, I was the first employee hired and, and, you know, we had a head of design and, and we had the head creative and, and me. So I'd go get the order. I'd put it in the system. I'd pack the box, I'd ship it. And, uh, so it's been, been a wild ride going from that to 15 years later being CEO. And I think I've had 12 titles in the 15 years I've been here. Hopefully this one sticks for a long time, but you know, you got to constantly evolve. I'm not the same manager. I'm not the same performer I was 15 years ago. I, I used to really just put my head down at work. I'd be here till midnight if I could, right? I'd, I'd get in at eight. I wasn't efficient. I'd be here till midnight, but hard work overcame a lot and a little bit of intelligence, I hope. Um, and now it's different. You got to find balance in your life. I've got two kids, 11 and nine, and I'm still a little crazy. I wake up at three in the morning and, and get in here at four and get five hours of work in before anyone gets in just to make sure I can get home by five. And, and I think I try to teach our employees, don't do that. That's maybe extreme, but, but find that balance for yourself. Work-life balance is difficult in a company in hyper growth. So you're probably not going to get it. You do need to get balanced. So otherwise your brain doesn't work properly. Yeah, you know, listening to you in the transition that you make, I, you know, I have a little rule that I do every single day. I either automate, eliminate, or delegate tasks that come across. Are you doing that in your job? And then, but I also get the sense you're one of those guys. You're they're they're bringing you to the new line, the new polo. You're going through it. You're touching it, feeling it. You're putting it on. That kind of stuff. You're walking around with it. Are you that kind of CEO? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would take it a step further. I'm probably working on building it before they even hand it to me. I, I still wear test every single fabric we have. We have a fabric library, probably a thousand fabrics. I probably have actually have a meeting this afternoon to wear test them. We probably get about 15 a week. So every single piece we get, I test it. I wash it five times. We compare the results to our company washing it and testing it, our team washing and testing it. So yeah, we're I'm very hands-on and I, I, I try to find that balance between doing what you said and, and that creative piece. I try to keep an hour or two hours in the morning to be creative, clear my mind and, and think about the future of the company where we're going. How about supply chain? How, I'm kind of curious from the idea of, let's just say that shirt that you're wearing right there to the time it comes to market, how long does it take? And are you seeing some supply chain issues that are a problem for you? Yeah, we've seen some massive supply chain issues. I mean, what, one thing we did that was really interesting is we had an April delivery of 2020 and when the pandemic hit, everything closed, I decided to pivot and move that to January. The end consumer had never seen it. It fit in really well for that January delivery. So when we did that, we actually avoided a lot of supply chain issues that a lot of people had, because what happened was everyone had to start buying in June and July. Well, the buyers weren't prepared, right? They're just coming back. Stores are opening. They're not giving you pre-books, so you'd have to buy blind. So we didn't have to buy that. And I actually bought March in July. So we got ahead of the curve. So for 21, we were doing great, but for 22, you know, we were planning 40, 50% growth and we ended up growing 80%. So that hyper growth caused a massive supply chain issue, capacity issues, things like that. Our lead times, you're seeing 30 to 60 days longer than typical. So a typical garment, 120 to 150 days, you're seeing 180 to 210. And I, on some dress shirts like you're wearing, I've seen lead times as high as 250 days. So it's, it's pretty incredible. So you've got to build an incredible go-to-market strategy. You have to have the supply chain buttoned up. Um, and you have to have incredible forecasting in a time that's really difficult to forecast. Well, at least mine's custom made, but that's okay. We'll go from there. <laughs> that takes even longer. 
I tell you, it does. It does. But I get them soon. I get them soon. Let's talk about how have you seen the brand grow and develop over the years? I mean, you've been there since the beginning. It, it's not the same as it was when you first started, by all means. Now you're publicly traded, hundreds of millions of dollars, growing at a high rate. I mean, it wasn't like that early. I mean, you had some of that growth. But how have you seen the brand grow and develop over the years? No, it's been really cool because we've not been afraid of evolution, right? We haven't stuck to this is who we are from day one. This is who we'll be in day 15. The core principles are there, but then you sort of evolve and navigate. And, you know, we went from this really small, tight knit group, fun brand, and, and kind of we're having a good time working our butt off. And you think about what's important and what's important is revenue, profit, and having fun and having a great brand, right? And then we've evolved into this business that's become a lot bigger. And then you start thinking about, well, who are we today? Well, you know, we give back. You know, we've donated $2.2 million over the last two years to charter schools, to the Special Olympics, to some incredible causes. And we really can make an impact on not only our people, but the environment around us. Um, you know, in a couple of years here, we'll probably be the biggest company in Huntington Beach uh, with over a thousand employees. And, and you think about the impact we can make there. And so you, it changes your thought process as a brand of going from let's let's be this really cool brand to like we can make an impact on people. We've got huge sustainability initiatives that our end consumer hasn't shown to us it's that important, but I think it will be for them. And it's the right thing to do at the end of the day. And so making a lot of decisions like that while also going, we went from this cool small brand to a mid-sized to big brand. And we got to think bigger. We've had these incredible organic relationships with our ambassadors, guys like Chris Pratt and Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's like, why aren't we utilizing them better for their brand and for ours? Can't we elevate both of our brands? And so we've We've taken on deals, not like Nike would, we're not paying guys $20 million, but we are paying them and we're giving them deals that are mutually beneficial to grow both of our brands. So you got to start thinking bigger and go, we're not small anymore. Organic is cool. Scene wearing is cool, but let's make something real out of this. Well, you talked about influence. I want to come back to that. I want to talk about your tagline, but we're going to take a quick break and come right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. All right, we are back and we're live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as we bring you all business with Jeffrey Azit right here on C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio. I'm visiting with Ryan Ellis, the CEO of Travis Matthew, one of the biggest golf brands out there today. And I tell you, I always say that the brand is rooted you know, where it needs to come from and where it was its core, and that is golf for you. But your customers don't all play golf, do they, Ryan? And you have a tagline that says, we're having a party and you're invited. Where does that come from? Okay, I'll embarrass myself with my retail career here a little bit. So when I came out of college, um, I couldn't get a job. I didn't have any experience. I played basketball in college. I'd never worked. And I had a buddy who was a district manager for Abercrombie and Fitch. He said, they'll hire you. You're like a good looking guy. They'll just hire you on the spot. And <laughs> I interviewed him within two minutes. They're like, you're hired, right? And so it was really entrepreneurial. They just give you a store and go have at it, basically. You have no, no management. But one thing that they do do is they have this very um, you know, exclusive environment where we're having a party and you're not invited. And so I learned there that's not how I want to be, right? Like we're not going to be the red carpet high in New York. You wish you could be here, but you can't afford it. You can't be here. And I really wanted to be inclusive from day one. So we created that, that tagline. We're having a party and you're invited. And the idea is, you know, I call the brand 18 to 80. Now that's an exaggeration, but it, it, um, you know, it's so inclusive. My dad can wear it. He doesn't wear it like this. And he actually looks better in it. And, and yet we can get a 20 year old consumer as well. So 
um, you know, for me, it, we're having a party. You're invited is like, let's bring everyone along for the ride. I think we have a unique opportunity to Travis Matthew, like almost nobody else. I think this can be one of the biggest sportswear brand brands in the U S and internationally. I'd love to hear you talk about being inclusive. In fact, I broke that story about Abercrombie and its CEO years ago when I was, uh, had my own show on Bloomberg. In fact, there's a new uh, documentary out about Abercrombie not being inclusive and about the things that they did. And I've got a big cameo or a big spot in that where I talk and do some reporting. So it's kind of interesting you bring that around. At least don't get that private plane like he had and he had two people dressed in their clothing. They had to look identical and they had to spritz cologne in the plane 30 seconds before him arriving. There was a manual on that. Anyway, don't be, never be yeah, like that. Yeah. It sounds like you got oh, a good head oh. on your shoulders. So okay. <laughs> that's great. So I, I heard it uh, said, it's so important to remind people where the brand started and for them to be on the journey as to where the brand is going. How are you ensuring that your team is on that journey with you? How, you know, you were there since the beginning. You, you've been drinking the Kool-Aid since day one. You've been wearing the shirt since day one. How are you getting that brand message through to your team? Well, we're lucky. We actually have a few people that have been with the brand for quite a bit of time. Our head of marketing has actually been with the brand for 11 years. So pretty close to the beginning. Our, our VP of design has been, he was hired at the exact same time I was. And so we've got some core people that have been there from the beginning. And then we're, we're matching that with, with skilled sort of practitioners that, that have the, the science where we have the art. And, and so I think what, what the key to that is the people that have the art have to be open-minded, right? Because the people with the skills are bringing those skills. You got to allow them to use those skills, right? And so we've got to give up a little bit, which is hard to do. When you've owned the brand for this long, it's hard to sort of give up that control, but you have to embrace that. And so that's the message. The message is let's all hold hands together on this journey and let's all get better and learn from each other. And that's what we're doing here. You mentioned uh, a little bit that you're giving away some money at the C-Suite Network. We work with hero leaders where people, community, and giving back are more important than profits. In fact, I wrote a book talking about putting people above profits. And I've heard you say that people come first and profits will follow. So how are you leading with a people first philosophy? Well, I think the first thing I tell our team is I would rather miss our, all of our goals and have our people be happy and fulfilled then make our goals and have people be miserable. So that that's the foundation. And I, and I truly mean that. And yet I'm so competitive, we're never going to miss our goals. So I don't even worry about that. So I really focus on the people piece and say, okay, our tagline here is take extreme ownership in winning together. And what that means is again, the old philosophy of profits of, of fun and, and brand are still important but we've got this other piece of engagement. How do we engage our people consistently? How do we recognize and reward them? And so, you know, it's, it's I send an, an, a weekly email or video to the team every single week that, that highlights something that somebody did great. Uh, let's say accounting closed in two days and we've been previously closing in five days. Nobody really talks about that, right? But really lights up the accounting team and we tell the whole company, that's a big accomplishment. They worked really hard to do that and probably work 48 hours straight. So we need to know that, we need to congratulate them. So to me, it's that constant recognition and then just visibility, like the idea that we'll keep communicating. That's what people want. We didn't communicate a lot four or five years ago and the employees would stick on every word we said. And, and you can go, well, this world's so PC and it's anything I say, they hold on. And yet over the past three years, I've communicated consistently every week, tons of company calls, and they don't stick on any word. They appreciate the candor. And so they forgive that I'm not going to say everything perfectly every time, but they know where my heart's coming from. 
That's all. How do you how do you balance that with your board or with the shareholders? You know, you got shareholders who are like looking at the bottom line and looking at the top line every single minute. So how do you balance that with them? Well, I think you know the shareholders are, are care. You know, I think they see where the world's going and what's important. If you want to recruit top talent, right? You're, you're going to need to be like that. You're going to need to evolve. And so I think that's been a big shift the last five years. Is I think we have an incredible board and they really care and they care about the initiatives we have and they they want our people to be happy and they want to go in places like Glassdoor and see positive reviews and they want to be moving the right direction. So um, I, to answer that really though, you got to hit your numbers, <laughs> right? And we hit our numbers. So, you know, we're other than 2020, which was a devastating year for us, you know, we're, we're 14 for 14. So we're going to continue to hit our numbers. And, and, and I think that engagement increases those numbers as well, naturally. And a great example, I've said in, a, in my book, The Hero Factor, if you put people above profits, focus in on your values, you'll, you'll succeed in every single measurement that you have. So how are you measuring success? How do you look at success? Well, I think on the people side, it's difficult. We're, we're launching a lot of communication tools. We just launched Workplace, which is a forum similar to Facebook. You, I mean, you're probably familiar with it where we get constant communication. We do a company survey that kind of tells us really year over year, how did we improve? How did we perform? Um, and then we do a lot of customer surveying as well to understand like what they're thinking about our brand, competitor data and analysis. Are we gaining market share? For me right now, it's less about revenue, more about market share. We've got best in class categories. And so, you know, how do we continue to gain market share when our competitors you know, are spending a lot more than we are on digital advertising, right? There are a lot of competitors spend and just keep reinvesting, reinvesting. We're building a, a really profitable business. Uh, and a really responsible business. Not that they're not being responsible, it's just a different business model. And so for us, how do we gain market share even though we're spending less? We talked about 25% of, 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 of uh, sales going to marketing. I mean, we're, we're sitting under 10% for sure. And so, you know, we're reinvesting in wholesale channels, which a lot of people aren't doing, but we're dominating. We have, you know, the number one men's better sportswear brand with Nordstrom and, and at the same time dominating the golf space as well. And so, um, you know, our measurement of success is sell through through our, through our best accounts. It's customer experience, um, and it's how our people are feeling, and they let us know. Fantastic. I have to ask you this other question. More about you. Look, you started <laughs> at the bottom, worked your way up to the top. How are you learning the things you need to do as a CEO? And I'm not asking that you're, you're a young guy, so I hope you don't mind me asking a question. I'm not trying to be condescending, but it's a lot of responsibility, a lot of things. How are you learning? What are you, you know, are you getting coaching? Are you having anybody help you? I'm just kind of curious how you're doing that. No, it's funny. I've, I've, you know, I don't want to say I've resisted coaching, but I've gotten this far doing it myself. And so, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that. And so I try to, when I say do it myself, I'm not alone in this. You know, obviously I'm, I'm doing what a lot of people are doing. I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. I'm, I'm Gary Vee, somebody I just love. I love his his positivity with practicality is just resonates so well with me, but it's it. What I try to do is listen to everybody and just think about one or two things I can take and, and how do I make it my own and then building that up. And pretty soon you've got a, a pretty big stable there. And, and, and I do have some great mentors, Bob McKnight, um, who's the founder of Quicksilver, who's right behind us in the building behind us has, has been a great mentor and, and taught us a lot of the things, really the things you learn from people like that is what not to do. Here's some of the failures and, and, and obviously I could probably teach a lot of what not to do as well now. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough to sort of do it myself. And, 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 you know, I've had an entrepreneurial mindset. I, I came from a very hardworking background. 
played basketball in college and, and got pushed really hard and it just never stopped. I, my dad's an entrepreneur, had his own business. I could have easily jumped in that, but wanted to carve my own path and be competitive. And my company's bigger than his now. Fantastic. Well, that's good. That's a good Thanksgiving conversation. Hey, Dad, how's your bottom line? How's your top line? That's nothing good. But you know what? I know he's, he's I know if he's like my son, he's proud of you and glad to have it. So, hey, let me, with a minute left, what's next for Travis Matthew and for you, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, what's next is is women's. I mean, we went 15 years without women's and 25% of our direct consumer customers, women's it's an astounding number for a men's only brand. And so she's spoken to us and we have a really good feel for where that's going. And I think not only is it going to increase our sales and women's, but she's buying for him. So it's an increase as guys, we go and shop and, and we get it for ourselves and we leave. We don't even think about our one, our, our, our wife, our girlfriend, they shop for us too. So, so that's, what's next. Women's is going to be an incredible opportunity for us. Um, what's next for me is constant evolution. Every three to four years, I need to evolve with the business. So uh, we've got some great partners here with our CFO, with our head of marketing. And, and it's how do we take that next step and, and how do we keep building something that our customer really speaks to? Well, fantastic. It's been a pleasure to have you. And of course, expanding into the women's market, that doubles the market, folks, right there. There are more women than men. It's a smart move to make. And I knew that back in my old days at Kodak, and I know that in my household, too. So Ryan Ellis, the CEO of Travis Matthew, he's joined us today right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hayes. It's been a pleasure having all of you tune in with us, and we'll see you next week. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned right here on All Business. And my big reminder was value. You heard Ryan talk about doing what was right and making sure he was working with his people. I find that brands everywhere are struggling to keep great talent. And great businesses learn that values are at the core. People want to come and work with businesses that have got great values. So in my book, The Hero Factor, I write about putting people above profits, and it leads to greater profitability, greater sales, employees who are happier, customers who want to do business with them, and vendors that want to rush and help you. And of course, you're recognized by not only your industry, but your community as well. And that's what I was reminded about right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.